Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. While aircraft radar has come a long way over the past several decades, U.S. National Science Foundation, or NSF, is looking to take things to another level with the investment of over $90 million to create the airborne phased array radar. This will be a state-of-the-art radar that will be attached to the outside of an aircraft and flown over land and ocean to get remarkably close 3D views of what's going on inside of deep clouds and severe storms. This will be valuable for weather research and has implications for future forecasting. Joining us today from the NSF are Dr. Linnea Avalon, Chief of Officer for the Research Facilities at the NSF, and Nicholas Anderson, Program Director for Physical and Dynamic Meteorology. Both of you, welcome to the Weather Geeks Podcast. Thanks, Thank Marshall. Well, let's, let's dive right in with the question I ask every Weather Geeks guest, and I'll start with Dr. Avalon. Are you a weather geek? And if so, how'd you become one? Well, I guess I have to say that I am, uh, although I am an atmospheric chemist by training and spent a lot of my uh, career building things uh, to observe the atmosphere. I do love being out and seeing what's happening. Uh, so I guess I will call myself a weather geek. And, and we, we definitely take larger atmospheric science geeks into the fold as well. I know I, I'm the director of an atmospheric sciences program, which encompasses all aspects of the atmosphere as well. Uh, before I come to Nick Anderson, as I give him a few moments to ponder that question, I'll give a little of the background on Dr. Linnea Avalon. She's an atmospheric chemist, as you noted, uh, specializing in design, development, and deployment of instrumentation. Uh, she is the Chief Officer for Research Facilities at NSF, where she has oversight of major multi-user facilities and mid-scale facilities portfolio. Uh, she once managed NSF's lower atmospheric observing facilities, and she has a 25-year research career spanning all aspects of atmospheric chemistry, from the boundary layer to the stratosphere. Now, Nick, Weather geek or no? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I love it. No doubt. You can't go into meteorology without being a weather geek, I don't think. Um, so I I will say that my first um, taste of, of being a weather geek was probably, I grew up in Minnesota. So some people may know the day of the perfect storm off the East Coast, you know, this was um, late October, early November, 1991. So while the perfect storm was going on, there was a massive blizzard going on in Minnesota due to the long wave pattern. Um, and we called it the Halloween blizzard and I went out trick or treating uh, in it and four inches of snow and we ended up with 20 some and it was it was a beautiful thing. <laughs> Just yes, um, that's spoken like a true yeah, weather. Geek for it sure. cemented my, my love of the weather. Yeah. And let me give you a little bit of uh, Nick Anderson's background. He's been with the NSF since July 2004. 
He's the program director of physical and dynamic meteorology since 2017. Uh, he's been certainly involved in uh, weather geekdom for quite some time as a, as a researcher and someone uh, at, at the university. And prior to that at NASA, I've been very familiar with Nick's involvement at the NSF. And has, he's really moved the needle in some ways, many ways on weather research in this country. So let's just dive right in. Uh, first of all, I want, want to get a little background because I, as I mentioned to you before we came on, I think you all are making Weather Geeks history today, and I, I could be wrong about this, so the Weather Geeks historians tweet me as you hear this if I'm wrong. I think you're the first NSF program managers we've ever had on the Weather Geeks podcast. And again, I could be wrong about that, but I've done a lot of shows. And I think this is the case. So could you give the Weather Geeks listeners and viewers, and Nick, I'll, I'll start with you on this one, a little background on the NSF, because I don't think a lot of Weather Geeks uh, listeners or viewers may be familiar with exactly how important your role is to the country. Exactly. Yeah. So NSF, the National Science Foundation, we are a federal agency. Some people don't even don't even know that. Um, we're a federal agency and we're in an independent agency under the executive branch. So we get a line item in the budget just like NASA does. Our role is to fund basic science. So when you think about NOAA, you think about, well, funding research that has direct applications to weather forecasting. For us, it's more about uh, funding research that has applications to understanding the, the science behind, you know, tornadoes and MCSs and hurricanes and all of that. And so, you know, NSF does all a whole huge range of science. Um, I'm in the meteorology program, so I deal with with weather and um, and but even in the meteorology program, we go from very small cloud microphysics um, to lightning to boundary layer flows, you know, all the way up the scale to you know hurricanes. So yeah, and then and my colleagues in the in the large scale dynamics program, they go beyond that to synoptic meteorology and and. Rossby waves and long wave patterns. So, so yes, we tend to fund um, researchers at, in, at universities, um, faculty members. Most of our money really goes to, and, and Marshall will know this, most of our money goes to grad students and undergrad students. Um, and so, so, you know, students can go and work on a project and actually get, you know, stipends for, for doing that research. And um, tuition waivers and such. And so, um, yeah, it's, that's what that's what NSF does. We're the basic science agency. Yeah, really, really important backbone bone agency. Now, I spent 12 years of my career at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, a little bit at NASA headquarters as well. NASA is a really public facing agency with a TV station. And, and and then I've done quite a bit with NOAA over the years. I think people are familiar with the National Weather Service. But I, I, I think National Science Foundation and your sort of focus on you've really enabled mm -hmm. quite a bit of the sort of basic science and research that then moves through the system in many ways in terms of advancing science knowledge. So I just wanted our listeners and viewers to understand that. I want to pivot now to the topic of the discussion. Linnea, can you give the listeners and viewers just a 101 on why we want to put a radar on an aircraft, first of all, and then we'll kind of talk more specifically about what value phased array radar gives us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think for, for many years, NSF actually did support a radar on an aircraft uh, uh, called Eldora. 
and that was an experiment that was co-designed by um, NSF-supported researchers and, and some groups from France. Uh, but that sort of outgrew its usefulness. Um, but I think fundamentally, putting a radar on aircraft allows you to get to places where you can't uh, make measurements in other ways, right? So clearly, uh, it's hard to make radar measurements over the ocean. Uh, I guess we do have some technology on ships, but that's not, not as mature. Uh, there are lots of regions of the planet where we don't have ground-based radar installations, but where an aircraft can go. So uh, fundamentally, it's access, and I think it's also proximity, right? So uh, within safety limits, we can fly a radar pretty close to storms, uh, whereas you may not, when you're on the ground, you're, you're limited to what comes your way. Yeah, this is a, this is a great point. Uh, again, during my days at NASA, I knew we flew uh, some radar systems on the ER-2, which is an old version right. of the U-2 spy craft Absolutely. that we fly over the storms <laughs> uh, with a radar system, uh, an EDOP radar system. Yeah. Shout yeah. out to Jerry Himesfield at NASA Goddard <laughs> Space Flight Center. Um, but that was a sort of more traditional Doppler radar. And right. Nick, we're talking here about a phased array radar system. Mm -hmm. So let me kind of set the stage and then I'll hand it off to you. Uh, weather radars essentially work by sort of sending pulses of microwave energy in, in the standard systems into precipitating clouds, for example, and there's backscattered energy off of those raindrops or perhaps ice crystals and so forth, and the radar is able to detect some of that backscattered energy. A Doppler radar measures the Doppler shift of those moving hydrometeors, as we call them, and we can get information on motion. And then the National Weather Service recently rolled out as a part of its operational system dual polarimetric radar, which transmits horizontal and vertical sort of orientations until we can get information on sort of the size of droplets and other things. Many of us believe that phased array radar is the next sort of sort of stepping ground for radar technology. So Nick, give the listeners and viewers a little overview of why phased array radar is different. Well phased array radar it doesn't require a dish. So one of the one of the things about normal radars is what you're doing is concentrating the energy with a dish and sending it out in one um, you know, kind of one point. Phased array radar instead has a bunch of small antennas, um, and they're 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 small. They're they're um, postage stamp sized, and you can fit them all on a you know, in a box, <laughs> on a flat uh, a flat panel, and they can work independently from each other or um, or with each other, and they can transmit very quickly. And so what you can do with the phased array is scan extremely fast. Um, you, you don't have to worry about the, the radar spinning around and around because you, you have a flat panel and all your, all your beams are being electronically steered. So it is, uh, it is incredibly flexible and researchers are still um, figuring out the best ways to, to use this technology because it's, it is really so advanced. The, the Department of Defense has been using phased array technology for a long time uh, for, you know, targets that they <laughs> care about. Whereas, you know, we've more recently moved into weather targets and now moving them to uh, an airplane and having them be dual polarized, as, as you mentioned, that is um, 
there's a whole new game. Um, so it it's it really is a big leap forward in technology. And when we come back from this first break, we're going to geek out on how these advanced phased array systems uh, can be applied for weather research. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with Dr. Linnea Avalon and Nicholas Anderson from the NSF talking about advanced phased array radar now now nick by the way i, I want to make sure am i am i properly characterizing your title my um nicholas anderson and not dr nicholas anderson i i, I have a master's so i, I yeah I, I, and, I, and this isn't i wanted to emphasize that point because the range of stem happens in all levels and um and uh, you know I, I like to use this podcast to, to note to our uh, listeners out there, particularly our younger listeners, that, that we've got some of the nation's top leaders at all levels in terms of experience, degree level, and so forth. And so uh, I wanted to share that opportunity. So thank you very much to both of you for your service and, and, and so for being exemplars for future students and so forth. Marshall, can I, can I amplify that point? I yes, think, please. So I've been at, at NSF uh, not as long as Nick has. <laughs> um, so, but I, uh, I can say that having worked directly with him, uh, he's fantastic. And I think there is no better program officer in atmospheric science than Nick. And, uh, you know, the, the fact that he has, doesn't have a PhD is, is meaningless. I think he's, no, it's very meaningless. Right. 
so that I just wanted to amplify that point that there is, there is room for, for everybody at, at all levels and to make Mm -hmm. a valuable contribution. Well, that, that, that's exactly the point I wanted to amplify because I just had two master students graduate and, you know, we were putting them out in the job market. And so I always and I know people mm-hmm. listen to this. I all people think you have to have a Ph.D. Mm-hmm. to do certain things within our federal system. And that's just absolutely yeah. a myth. Yeah, and I, sure. I mean, Nick's one of the most effective and sort of mm-hmm. game changing program managers from my experience. That and, and I'm not sucking up to him <laughs> because I don't have any funding for this program, by the way. Uh, but I, I'm long familiar with him as a longtime stakeholder in the field of meteorology. But with that, uh, let's kind of dig into this advanced phased array radar system. It's Tell us a little bit about what type of plane it might fly on, uh, what type of storm systems it may uh, sample, and why. Uh, we'll go to you, Linnea. Okay, I'll, I'll start. Let, I can talk about the aircraft part, and then maybe I'll let Nick talk about the, the storms. Um, so uh, the, the, the initial plan is to fly this radar on... Uh, NSF's uh, C-130 aircraft that's operated for us by the National Center for Atmospheric Research. Um, so NCAR is developing the technology, and they uh, they are ready to mount the panels on the C-130 aircraft. Uh, I think if that's successful, NOAA has expressed a lot of interest in also adopting this technology for their future Hurricane Hunter aircraft. Uh, they have a couple of very old P-3 aircraft on which they fly tail Doppler radar. Uh, and they know that those planes and that technology is not going to get them uh, into the next decade. Uh, so I think they are looking to, to purchase new C-130 aircraft and hopefully uh, uh, mount successful APAR uh, technology on those aircraft. Yeah. And let me... And with- yeah, I was going to say, and with that, Nick, how do we then sort of bridge that into sort of studying weather processes? Well, the, the nice part about the C-130 at NCAR is that it is a user um, requestable facility. So we have a process at NSF where researchers from the community can um, send in a proposal to use our facilities. So... Um, I expect when this comes online in the 2028 timeframe to get a whole bunch of proposals um, from researchers that want to study different topics that really are really well suited for an airborne radar like this. Hurricanes are are really kind of the, the shining star example of this because we still have questions about what's going on inside hurricanes that allows them to transition um, allows them to rapidly intensify, allows the eyewall cycle to, to move forward. And, and I think that while well, the tail Doppler radars from NOAA have been instrumental in, in understanding a lot, of, a lot of these things, I think APAR will let us go further on both um, getting the full range of how the airflow is happening in the hurricane and the, the particles, you know, are, are they you know, are the raindrops smashing into each other and, and getting smaller? You know, what what is ice doing up in the upper levels? How, you know, how does that all work to to help the um, hurricane intensify or 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 disintegrate? Um, but then there's a whole bunch of other things you can do with the radar, which is which is the beautiful thing. You can um, 
you can fly around tornadic supercells and and get as Linnea said within the safety constraints you can get really close to and and we have radars on the ground but there's something to being able to track and follow that that will really help us out and then there's there's other aspects it's not it's not just weather too it's it's the it's understanding how clouds and water move through the system to help um, estimates of climate, you know, because climate is driven by water and clouds and, and all of that. So, so over in the oceans, when we have these, you know, thunderstorm complexes, we still don't have a good feel for how all of that is playing out because we don't have any radars out there. We have satellites, which are fantastic, but the resolution just isn't good enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I remind people all the time when they, you know, we why do we use airborne systems or in some cases satellite? Most of the world is covered by water, so we can't put rain gauges and mm-hmm. uh, radars out there on floating platforms. Um, I guess we could in some mm-hmm. degree, but so, you know, these sort of aircraft missions or these sort of intensive field campaigns that are done by people like NCAR and so forth. And let me give, give a big weather geek shout out to the folks at NCAR because I know they, they manage many of the facilities that, researchers use in the atmospheric mm-hmm. sciences and NCAR is certainly sponsored by the National Science Foundation, a big part of your effort. And so I don't, again, I think people even in the weather geeks world may be familiar with NCAR, but may not understand its relationship to the NSF. So mm-hmm. wanted to make sure I, I mentioned that as well. I, I also wanted to just kind of circle back to some of the weather geeks listeners. There was a profiler network on the ground uh, in many parts of the, the Midwest, Great Plains region, these were these upward pointing wind profiler systems. And I believe, if I'm correct, they use some type of phased array capabilities as well as you were describing that. I, I just wanted to kind of put that out there. What's the range of, and I'll come to you, Linnea, for, Linnea, for this. What's the range of a rate of these uh, advanced phased array systems on the aircraft? And I, I mean, you have to get really close to the, the storm or? No, I don't think 50? so. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I actually have a number. And I see that Nick might be looking <laughs> something up. <laughs> no, this, yeah. this is a question one of my producers was curious about. Right. I mean, yeah. So, you know, while, while we're kind of looking at that, um, I, I did want to sort of switch to the sort of notion that do you see a world where these phased array systems that you're enabling uh, would sort of be a part of ground-based systems soon? I know that NOAA and NS National Severe right. Storms Lab are already kind of headed down that road, but right. sort of how do you see these two systems playing together? Yeah, so maybe I'll start on that, and Nick, you can you can follow. So I, I think that there is a world in which phased array radar uh, becomes a really a common ground-based technology. Um, some number of years ago, and maybe almost a decade now, we we funded a science and technology center uh, that was led by the University of Massachusetts to put fa- some phased array systems in urban areas and look at how well those were were able to track severe weather coming through urban areas. Was I that think the CASA It system? was CASA, yes. Yeah, uh, and I, I think that that was, you know, an early and very good demonstration of what phased array systems can do. And I can only imagine that as the technology improves and becomes less expensive, that we would see more systems like that. I mean, imagine if you could mount radars on the sides of buildings and in dense urban areas where it's otherwise very hard to get good uh, radar returns. You, you could do tremendous things with that. 
yeah. I think, and protect a lot of people's lives. Yeah. Well, great, great point. Yeah, they're much more flexible systems. Nick, did you want yeah, to Yeah, absolutely. One of the things we haven't talked about so far is the difference between the different bands of radars. So there's the, mm -hmm. the main types of radars are X-band, C-band, and S-band. So the, the radars, the weather service radars that we're all familiar with are big S-band radars. They're, and they're very big. And they're, the wavelength is 10 centimeters. What that means is that they can probe quite far, hundreds of kilometers, and they can probe into storms and not be worried about the attenuation. So attenuation happens when it hits, when the radar beam hits big scatters and scatters back, but not, not as much gets through, right? S-band radars are less prone to that. Previously, we were flying X-band radars, which are three centimeter wavelengths. Mm -hmm. Those had a shorter range and were attenuated a lot. So APAR is a C-band radar. It's kind of in between, it's five centimeters. So the benefit to APAR here is that it can, it will be able to see further into the storms. So we're talking tens, you know, tens of miles um, ranges into the storms. And, and that, that, that'll be better than, than what, the, what the prior radars could do. As far as ground-based, yes, I think um, there was a, there was an attempt, again, about a decade ago from NOAA to NOAA and the FAA to try to bring together a system that was phased array that also that would do both weather and aviation targeting. Um, that one, I think everyone kind of decided, well, maybe we shouldn't combine everything into one system. But the future looking uh, radars from, coming from like the National Severe Storms Lab when they're looking at radars, they're thinking of phased array just because, partially because the rapid update cycles on phased array radars are, are again, a game changer. And if we can see what's happening, say, in tornadoes at the 30-second scale, rather than waiting for five-minute scans, it, that could be really a huge public safety thing. So uh, one of the benefits of APAR here is also that we will get people more used to using phased array radar so that when, if and when, you know, the national radar, you know, scene goes to phased array, we're going to have people who really understand how to use it, and including students have, who have come up through that system. And as you heard them talking about attenuation, for those of you that may have satellite TV, uh, you may have uh, experienced loss of the signal due to rainfall. That's an example of what we mean by attenuation. And our students are certainly learning about that. Um, uh, we just purchased an X-band radar at the University of Georgia with Georgia Tech. And I teach the radar meteorology course here. And so uh, we go through those very discussions about the advantages of certain wavelength radar. I was deputy project scientist for the Global Precipitation Measurement Mission, or GPM, at NASA before I left, and it was using KA and KU band mm -hmm. radars uh, <laughs> wavelengths as well from space. So <clears throat> there are certainly advantages and disadvantages of these different wavelengths. So I really appreciate and I love Nick's radar geek out for our viewers and listeners. That's what the show's all about. When we come back, I'm going to ask Linnea and Nick the big questions. Delve into the shadows of the mind. With Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. 
It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. And quiet has kept um, my Ph.D. work was in cloud modeling and precipitation, but my master's work was with radar. So I'm really enjoying this geek out today on the podcast. Now, we've talked about this advanced phased array system. What are the time frames? I am going to uh, please answer the question while I go off camera here and, um, and, and get my lighting back going. But what are the time frames of this advanced system? Yeah, so the, the funding um, is being provided to NCAR uh, pretty much as we speak. Uh, and I think the anticipation is that the system will be ready for operation in about 2028. Uh, I expect that there will be some interim milestones there where we might see them operating uh, with one of the four panels to show that the, the technology works uh, and then and we're then working their way up to an operational capability in about 2028. Yeah, what and Mitch, yeah, well, I should add that we've this has been in the works for for many years. So the design phase of this has gone back in, in the and the project management has gone back 10 years. And, and we should say that not only has NSF funded, but NOAA has contributed significant funding to the design work of, of this radar, even though it's gonna go on an NSF plane, precisely because they hope that down the road, you know, this APAR system will be used for their hurricane reconnaissance plane. So there, there have been different stages along the way. and. And, and I've been out to NCAR and I've seen they, they had this little demonstrator unit, um, really j just this size, and they stuck it and they had a viewport out the window and they were able to, to, to do some sensing from, from the ground to, to test to make sure that they weren't doing something that was impossible. <laughs> So yeah, this really illustrates, and I'm glad you, glad you brought up the point about NOAA because I know there's quite a bit of interagency cooperation and participation on on projects like mm -hmm. this. What are, what are the 
and, and I, you know, I've been in this world. What are the barriers? I mean, going forward for uh, a, a new system and project like this. I guess I hope that there are not too many barriers. Um, I think that really goes to what Nick was saying that with large projects, and, and this is technically in our mid-scale program, but with with large and complex projects. Uh, we very deliberately take a stepped approach through the project and we we uh, expect projects to demonstrate um, achievement of milestones along the way right so um, one phrase that we use is risk reduction or retirement of risks right so when you're starting at the beginning and you don't you have a good idea but you don't really know if the implementation is going to work you take steps and you get a little bit of funding to show that certain things work uh, that retires some risk right and then and then uh, the project advances so I would I would say at this point, uh, the project is about as mature as we could hope it would be because of all this previous funding from NOAA and NSF. Uh, so I'm really hopeful that there are not any significant barriers. Uh, I know the team has done a great deal of work like what Nick was describing. They've done fluid dynamical studies of what the panels will look like on the plane. So they have a sense of uh, what uh, limitations that will place on aircraft operations. Um, they've worked with industry on the manufacturing of the panels. So it seems to me that most of the traditional barriers have, have been lowered by those activities. Nick, will, will this data ultimately, ultimately be used in models? Yeah, I can, yes. I mean, simply don't, you know, the whole reason we do this is, is to enhance understanding, but that understanding then gets translated into, say, parameterizations that go into models. And, and maybe I'll let you describe <laughs> what a parameterization is. But um, effectively, yeah, most of what we do, and, and I, should, I should say that NSF has two criteria when we have proposals. We have intellectual merit, which is effectively the science, and we have broader impacts. And broader impacts are really crucial because it's how our funding affects society. A lot of times that can be training, training of students, um, you know, more inclusion. Um, other times it can be, well, well, what does this do for, say, forecasting? So I imagine in, in, a, in a future world where we're getting proposals to use this radar, we're gonna see a lot of people say, okay, we're gonna study this topic. And at the end, we're gonna know that, you know, we can tweak this part of the model and make the models better so that we can do better forecasts. Yeah, that makes sense. And to sort of give a little one-on-one on parameterizations that you heard Nick mentioned in modeling, there are often processes that we can't resolve. And so we parameterize them in certain ways. <clears throat> For larger scale models, we might not be able to quote unquote see a cloud at the grid scale size. And so uh, there are parameterizations based on the humidity and other factors that we can approximate. And again, there are approximations, there are parameterizations. That's where error is introduced in models. And even at cloud scale, we have to parameterize things like the turbulent processes and radiation in, uh, interactions and so forth. And so the more information we can get about microphysical processes, the things that this radar can offer, uh, the better we can resolve things at the cloud scale. And then that can then in turn scale up. And so we know that atmospheric processes are multi-way processes and, indeed. 
while I have you, and again, this is host privileges as the weather geeks, that's the last question, but I've got two high-level senior program managers at the NSF. Are there any other exciting things in your portfolio related to weather uh, that our weather geeks listeners, maybe I'll give each of you one. Is there just one other thing out there beyond phase array that you're really excited about right now that you want to sort of let weather geeks listeners and viewers know about? I'll start with you, Linnea. Well, my portfolio is is much broader than uh, than what we've been talking about. So yeah. in my role, I oversee all the research infrastructure that NSF funds. Uh, and there are a lot of really exciting things out there. Um, yeah, I bet. So, uh, you want, gosh. You want to well, throw one out there or you just want to give a website where they can find out more about <laughs> well, your you program? Well, you can go to nsf.gov and look around at what we've got out there. Um, but I, I think, I guess if I had to pick one thing, um, be pretty difficult. Uh, yeah, I know you've got a big, big portfolio, and we have some really, we have some really interesting things in development that are. It's a little too early for me to talk about. Oh, we but, can't break any news on weather geeks today. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I actually, I what I do want to talk about maybe briefly is just to highlight that this project was funded out of our our mid scale research infrastructure program. Um, so I think, you know, maybe some of your listeners know that NSF funds telescopes and ships and we have these aircraft and, and NCAR and uh, we run the U.S. Antarctic program. Um, but we recognized about five years ago that there was a whole realm of technology that we weren't really funding effectively because it lay between projects that were the size that a program like NICS could fund and a much larger program that would be funded centrally by the agency. Uh, so I think APAR is a wonderful example of what we've been able to do in this mid-scale space between about 20 and $100 million uh, in implementation. And there is some really amazing stuff in that space uh, that, that we funded over the past uh, four years that, that's coming along. Um, so I think yeah. people should should be uh, watching the news for some of those new implementations. We have a network of, of high-resolution nuclear magnetic resonance machines for the biologists. We have uh, a phenomenal tool, uh, suite of software tools for social scientists to collect the data that they need. Uh, we, are, we just uh, gave funding to uh, the Advanced Simons Observatory, which is going to look at the cosmic microwave background radiation from a site in Chile. So I think it, we just cover the we cover the landscape, and I think that's one of the things that is really exciting about my job. Yeah, it really is. And, and Nick, do you want to bite on my dangling out there one of your top uh, or your most exciting efforts? But are, are you sort of in that uh, the notion as well? I've got so many cool things. I don't well, want to. Well, there's highlight. a lot of cool things, but you know what? We we didn't talk. We have an, we had another aircraft project that we funded um, just two or three years ago. So the University of Wyoming has a King Air aircraft. Um, so this is one of the, you know, it's a smaller aircraft, but it's equipped for um, atmospheric, you know, sensing. And what we did was that they had the old aircraft and they had to retire it. It had reached the end of life. So the state of Wyoming bought the new aircraft and they um, proposed to NSF to 
you know, make it equipment, make it uh, an airborne lab. So um, we got it funded through the mid-scale, again, another mid-scale. This was the smaller mid-scale, mid-scale one. Um, so it was, it was less money than, than APAR was. But we're, but it's going to come online in 2024. And in some of the instruments that were funded along with it included a, a Raman LiDAR. And what that does is it can actually see moisture and temperature um, along a path, which is it, it's difficult to do. We've seen a lot of these ground-based ones, but we've got a good airborne one now and another um, another uh, sensor that can do more fine-scale wind. Uh, so we're going to be putting those out, strangely enough, on the C-130 um, <laughs> early next uh-huh. year uh-huh. to go do a campaign up in the Arctic to look at Arctic clouds. Um, so not only are we doing something that is remote, like that, like we described with APAR, but we're doing it with some new instruments that were funded through the mid-scale. And that's, that's kind of a fun one. And of course, you know, we consistently have people going out and chasing tornadoes with their, with their radar trucks. And we just had a campaign finish up that used um, unmanned systems to fly around supercells to try to get to some of these, like, what's... What, what is like the vorticity coming into the storm? So we're going to be looking forward to the analysis of, of that. So I'll stop there. I think we've talked. I think we've talked to some of those folks flying those UAVs uh, on a previous uh, couple of weather geeks. Uh, some folks, I believe, out of, out of somewhere out yes. in Colorado and Nebraska are some of the key people involved in that. Wow, this has been great. I love the geek out. We've got to have NSF folks on more often. So then spread the word among your colleagues that Weather Geeks podcast is open for uh, sharing. We've had a lot of NASA, DOE, and uh, mm-hmm. NOAA folks on over the years, and uh, we, we can get the word out there. So we really enjoyed having you. Uh, there is no Geek of the Week this week, and so I'll just stop here and thank uh, both Linnea and Nick for joining us today on the Weather Geeks podcast. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you. And I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard. We'll see you next time on Weather Geeks. Weather Geeks.